0: we mm-hmm. Buddy, this is Chris Welcome to episode 242 of X-Lapsed And this is the August finale For, uh, original recipe x Labs. Even though we're in the, you know, second week of September uh, well, DCBS took a long time to get me the August books So, uh, we crept into September And since I just got an email the other day That my DCBS order will be delayed again Um, well, we're gonna <laughs> We're gonna be popping into the essentials after this But, uh You know, I was thinking about doing the uh, Deadpool Black, White, and Blood number one as the next episode of X-Lapsed, but uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I'm going to have to let you guys decide how we're going to handle that because, you know, the more I look at it, I'm not even sure it takes place in the uh, Krakoan era here. The story that I was most interested in had uh, Scout uh, hanging out with Deadpool, but... I'm not sure if it's like one of those stories that could take place anytime or if there's anything Grakoan-centric in there or anything that, uh, you know, calls to or points out that we're in the era that we're in. So we might just do like we did with the Gwenpool uh, miniseries, where just do like an overview of the miniseries once it's complete and pull out the relevant ones to do uh, deeper dives on. But we'll, uh, you know, we'll play that by ear. Uh, I've got the books. I've got the books ordered. So, I mean... Whatever happens, happens, and uh, it just might not happen, you know, right away So with that out of the way, let's get into today's book here We're talking about X-Men, Volume 6, Number 2 Now this had an October 2021 cover date The story is called Fearless, Chapter 2, Catching the Wave Written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Pepe Larraz Colors, Mardi Gracia, letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles Designs, Tom Muller, head of X, for now, Hickman at its white cover price, $4, and this one went on sale August the 4th of 2021. Now, we open with, of all things, a mostly blank quote page, but this one comes from Nova. Now, he's talking about a wave that he was hit by, which, after reading this issue, we could probably assume to be an annihilation wave. Though, I mean, you know, that's, uh, the space-centric stuff is not my forte, so pardon my ignorance on what, he, what any of that actually means. Um, I don't think it's tied to the last Annihilation, uh, though I could most definitely be wrong. Now we open at the Treehouse, where Gambit is hosting a poker game, and he's playing with The Thing, Black Cat, and Rhino. Rogue stomps down the stairs, breaks up the game, and claims that, you know, this crew of X-Men were elected, and that there are constantly paparazzi around, so they can't have the cast of the bar with no name be seen hanging out there. Though, I mean... Rhino's like the only straight villain there, right? Heck, for, for all I know, he's a good guy now, too. Who knows? I mean, all the bad guys are turning good. and I mean, Thing is a respected member of the community. I, I don't know. I, I will say, as a sort of forced as this scene feels, because it certainly does, its point is well taken. Because here we go from having the mutants not caring at all what the human world thought about them, To sorta kinda trying to appease the looky-loos and keep their public relations in check So definitely a shift in perception and attitude for our uh, mutant heroes here Now we shift scenes from here over to Game World Where that disgusting fungus Cordyceps Jones announces the latest bounty bet And uh, a fella named Kriv Yu of the Numari is there to offer up an Annihilation Wave Which he will let loose among the Terrans now Jones asked the gang to place their bets as Criview heads toward Earth. If you remember, he kinda wants to take out humanity, but he doesn't want to hurt Earth. So this is something that uh, will hopefully wipe out, you know, everybody living on Earth instead of actually damaging the planet itself. And as tired as I am of space stuff, uh, this place still reminds me of somewhere that Lobo would probably hang out and get Mounties from. So it's a, uh, it's kind of neat in that regard. Anyway, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred, our characters are as they always are for this book. Cyclops, Jean Grey, Sunfire, Sink, Wolverine, that is Laura, Polaris, and Rogue. Back to comics, and the wave is unleashed in Kansas. Now, I'm not sure if we're supposed to be getting any Superman vibes here, with Kriv's craft landing in Kansas like in the middle of a field. Eh, Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, Kriv downs a bottle of, uh, Uh, Annihilation Juice? I don't know and from his body springs a whole lot of intergalactic creepy crawlies. We shift to elsewhere, where Sync is practicing sinking telepathy with Gene, and it seems to be going well. But the session is interrupted by the feeling that something weird just happened in Kansas. And so, without saying to me, my X-Men, Gene assembles the crew into the Thunderbird, and before we know it, they're headed into the Heartland. Now, it's worth noting here that Everett and Gene did talk a little bit about his weird relationship with Laura. Now, in case you don't remember, just like Laura doesn't remember, uh, Everett, X-23, and Darwin spent decades inside the vault during the disjointed previous volume of X-Men. Now, Laura died before she could make it out. Sink did make it out, only to die as soon as he returned. He, he died outside of the vault right after Professor X was able to uh, back up his, uh, his memories into Cerebro. And so, since Everett's memories were able to be Cerebro-sized, or cerebro before he passed, he remembers everything that happened in the vault, whereas Laura does not. And since they had, like, a decades-long romance, it's a little bit awkward, right? Um, now, he's struggling with whether or not to tell her about it, though Gene does know. He did tell Gene uh, everything that went down. From here, we kind of leave the characterization portion of the book here, and we spend the next ten pages with the X-Men fighting back and ultimately defeating the Annihilation Wave. Now, Rogue immediately knows that it is an Annihilation Wave from her time on the Unity Squad, which was the uh, post-AVX Uncanny Avengers, of course. Now, Polaris, upon hearing this, suggests that the number one cause of death for Avengers must have been boredom. I'd argue that she, uh, you know, spelled Bendis wrong, but... uh I will agree that, as an Avengers reader, um, boredom is what kicked me out of it, or, you know, out of the fandom, so, eh, what are you gonna do? Anyway, from here we get lots of, like, powers in tandem sort of offense being employed here. We have seen that a whole bunch in these, uh, you know, Dawn of X, Reign of X books. Ultimately, Jean and Lorna head into the Wrigley Mess, where they find the dead, or just recently, dead body of Creview. Now, since Gene can't read the mind of a dead guy... She and Lorna combine their powers in an interesting, if not completely logical, way. Now, to hear Jean explain it, Polaris' magnetism and her own telepathy will make something of an MRI machine for memories. I don't know that that's exactly how something like that would work, but hey, we'll go with it. Now, while, she's, uh, while she is MRIing, she sees something, which we can probably assume to be the goings-down on Game World. Now, with all the info collected, she calls for sunfire to incinerate the wave, and so he does. Now, considering how many Marvel cosmic stories of the past 15, 20 years have had annihilation in the title, I feel like we're jobbing these uh, these creepy crawlies out here pretty quickly. Um, they seem a little bit underpowered if they if they fall so fast to just a you know a handful of X-Men. I don't know. Anyway. The locals then gather around to thank the X-Men for saving their bacon, which leads to, if I'm being completely honest, a very awkward monologue from Sunfire, in which he shares his origin story with everybody. I mean, the gist is that he lives to serve, or something. Uh, The Kansans then invite the X-Men to a barbecue, and uh, after a little bit of hemming and hawing from uh, Sunfire, they do agree to go. From here, we shift over to a very bizarre scene indeed. Remember Dr. Stasis from the first issue? Well, we're, we're with him again, and he's having dinner with his wife and son. And it all feels very, like, 1950s suburban stereotypical, right? Now, Mrs. Stasis is serving dinner, and she mentions that she accidentally used a cream sauce on his glob of food, which the doc is not a fan of, but he says it's okay. And then he kills them both. Well... Sort of You see the son at the table, he says Tomorrow is a new opportunity to be perfect Now I think that might be a trigger phrase to kill them Because as soon as he says that, they, go, they both go face down in their, uh, in their cream sauce Now from here, a hybridized tiger man enters the kitchen to clean up the mess Stasis then retires to the couch to catch up on some autopsy reports And uh, the report that we see him reading has to do with uh, Cyclops uh, We see a picture of Cyclops' busted visor among the data From here we wrap up with an info page And it's a memo from the Orcus Protocol So I suppose maybe Dr. Stasis is one of the redacted people From the Orcus Chain of Command infographic That we saw a couple times over in uh, Sword, I believe Anyway Now, this is a report from Dr. Devo from The Mother Mold discussing the X-Men assault from Hoxpox, Cyclops and, well, all the X-Men died there that day. But then, how come he's back among the living? And that is where we leave it. So, let's talk about it. Now, it's interesting. This book feels like, um... It kind of feels like a popcorn movie. I mean, you know me, I don't watch movies, but I'm assuming (laughs) this is what a popcorn movie feels like. But with absolutely no uh, disrespect to the book. This is in a very good way. Um, It doesn't come across as vapid, but at the same time, it's flashy, it's big, it's a lot of fun, it feels like an event. It reminds me, and it's funny, it reminds me of two different eras of uh, Justice League. You know, it reminds me of the the Jeff Johns Justice League post-Flashpoint, the New 52 stuff, where... It felt like every story was like an event onto itself. It was like the book, like the must read book, at least to me, of, uh, of basically the entire new 52. It was like if you could if you ignored everything else, you shouldn't ignore Justice League, because that was kind of the straw that stirred the drink. It wasn't always bogged down in crossovers and stuff. Uh, there were certainly crossovers there, but every, every storyline kind of felt like this big event in and of itself, and that's what I'm getting out of this uh, this run of X-Men. Now, the other era of Justice League that this reminds me of is the, uh, the Morrison era, where, I mean, we are getting character bits here, don't get me wrong, um, and we are exploring the characters, but maybe, I don't know if it's a, for lack of a better term, maybe, like, in a more passive and less soapy kind of way. Like, every character beat has to do with progressing the story. So it's less soapy and more... Um, with a goal in mind, perhaps? I'm probably explaining this very, very poorly, but... We've got Gambit having his poker game, Rogue facilitates her coming down and kind of explaining the status quo. If anybody, and I don't think anybody, missed the first issue who who bought the second issue, considering the first issue sold, like, upwards of a quarter of a million copies. We'll, we'll get to sales in a little bit, but... This is a good way to kind of reestablish uh, what the status quo is for this book. And, you know, maybe that was a little bit forced, but but for those of us who, you know, got started in this hobby and with this family of books back in the 80s and 90s, it's really not that bad. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, we go from sort of forced to, like, really forced in the Sunfire speech at the end. That felt to me, I don't know, kind of out of character. He always seemed like such a standoffish kind of guy kind of out for number one and really didn't uh, really didn't portray himself as any sort of uh, you know public servant. And here we're finding out that like he he lives to serve. It's uh, I don't know, it just didn't sit quite right with me. I, I get that we're in the, in a new era here and uh, we are trying to make these characters fit in this uh, new team dynamic, but I don't know, I feel like I feel like there were more organic ways to do that. But then again, like I said earlier, this is not so much of a soapy book At least not with these first two issues It hasn't had a whole lot of time to do the soap stuff So instead we just get exposition, basically We just get told this is what things are And uh, well, we just roll with it No matter how uh, kind of stilted it might feel Let's talk a little bit about the fight scene And I mean very little bit Because it was you know a fight scene And there really isn't a whole lot to say about it Other than it looked beautiful, right? Um, the art here, it should probably go without saying, is uh, just phenomenal stuff here from uh, Laraz and uh, Gracia. Really, really good stuff. But, you know, it was still a fight scene, and it was still another damn alien invasion sort of thing with these uh, the Annihilation Critters. its I'm tired of the alien stuff. I'm really, really tired of the intergalactic cosmic crap <laughs> just being foisted upon us week after week after week here. But I guess that's kind of... I guess that's what you're left with when you turn all the bad guys into uh, not-so-bad guys. It's really a rock and a hard place. How do you, uh, how do you stick to the, to the mission statement and at the same time deliver threats? I, I can totally appreciate the challenge. And that's why we are fighting aliens and Russians and robots and uh, vampires and uh, not much else. Two more things to touch on. Um, I like that they're still having Everett sort of struggle with whether or not to tell Laura about their time in the vault here. And, you know, you wonder, like, how he would even go about doing it, right? I mean, that's going to be a tough sell no matter who Everett would be telling that story to, much less someone who can be as um, disconnected or as aloof as uh, as Laura. So that's going to be an interesting story. I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops, and I mean, the thing of it is, is it kind of is what it is, right? I mean, Laura is not going to suddenly remember this, because, well, she can't. She didn't have these memories, right? The Laura that we have now, th- there are no backups of those memories, so all she'll have to do is, is take it at face value here, and... Potentially enter into a relationship with uh, with an open mind. Um, it's just a toughie, isn't it? I, I part of me wonders if they're just going to have Everett try to uh, try to like woo her or, or get into a relationship without telling her about their time in the vault here, just to sort of establish a a more genuine relationship in the here and now. And then maybe somewhere down the line tell her about their time together and uh, see how, uh, how things, you know, play out when that other shoe drops. Either way, I'm there for it and I- I'm looking forward to it. I- part of me wonders if uh, this was always in the cards from the initial uh, trip into the vault back in, boy, what was that, X-Men number 5? Like going back almost two years? I-, I-, I don't know that this was always in the cards, but it's interesting to, uh, to think about and theorize. Alright, into the ending here, which I think was probably the strongest part of the issue And also the strangest part of the issue It really gave such an uncomfortable vibe Um, Having uh, Stasis there with his, you know, idyllic And I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but it felt very I don't want to say leave it to beaver so much But um, it felt like a very stereotypical 50s sort of family and I don't know if that was what we're supposed to be feeling But uh, it's, it was my takeaway But I really liked how that all played out here It did feel a little easy for Stasis to, you know, kill his family Or, or allow his son to say the trigger word that killed the family Part of me wonders if, uh, like, maybe they were LMDs And this is something he does every night <laughs> Or maybe he has, like, a whole bunch of families that he does this to I mean, his whole gimmick here is trying to figure out uh, the, you know, ins and outs of uh, resurrection. Like, how can how can the mutants be coming back to life, right? And he's been trying to do the hybrid thing. We did see the Tiger Man here. We saw last issue the uh, weird, like, spider guy with the, with the weird arms and stuff. So maybe these are his uh, guinea pigs, right? Uh, we did see the Tiger Man come in and take the family away. So perhaps they could serve as test subjects, you know, to figure out the whats and the hows of uh, resurrection. I do like that he is still studying, um, you know, data. You know, I think it, it's kind of funny, like in a meta way, considering how we've received so much of our information in these uh, in these info pages. And here we have a character inside the book who's sorta who's sorta like flying by the seat of uh, the info page, trying to get to the bottom. Of a mystery You know, and I mean We've had plenty of mysteries here as fans That we're trying to get to the bottom of And it's pretty neat to have uh, one of the uh, You know, big bads that are brewing Kind of getting their information In a similar sort of way Again, whatever it is, I'm here for it Um, I would like to see a lot more of this And a lot less space I, you know, we do have game world That we still need to deal with and, uh, we've seen the solicits, and we know that, uh, the High Evolutionary will be getting involved in this story, so... Yeah, we got some space stuff, we got some cosmic stuff, um... Uh, I mean, and we'll... <laughs> we'll be there for it. I'm just not looking forward to it as much as I am, uh... You know, finally getting some of these answers that it feels like we're starting to brush up against. It's, uh, almost like we're being teased, but, uh, being teased in a really cool way. But... That's all I got to say about this issue. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on it as well, so uh, definitely feel free to, uh, to hit me up with your thoughts. And uh, speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag. It's a quickie this time. We're going to start with Evan talking about New Mutants number 18. Now Evan says, I think I'm on the same page as you. This was a well-done issue that told a story that didn't sit well with me. It does seem like death and resurrection was the only way to solve karma and trans situation." While it is different from Cosmar's plight, I do understand her frustration with it. But I'm on the record as being opposed to the Crucible, and I haven't changed my mind. The idea that the Krakowans frown on suicide but are cool with this is just poor mental gymnastics. But, from a story perspective, it works. Now, of course, this was the issue of New Mutants, where Danny and uh, Shan do battle to the death, in the Crucible, right after Cosmar asked Danny if she would do her the honors to maybe get her into a uh, less warped body, I suppose. And uh, Danny said no and gave her like the mutant rah rah speech like, You're beautiful just the way you are. And uh, here, and uh, Evan is totally right here, the, it, there is a difference between Karma's situation and Cosmar's, but uh, this does feel. I mean the timing here is is definitely um, intentional, and I think all the feelings that we're having are also intentional. Here, we're supposed to be thinking like, why does uh, why does this character rank and this one does not, and that led to us talking a lot about a uh, like a class system forming on Krakoa, um, unwittingly. Like I don't think they're planning to do it. It's just. Something that kind of happens in society, unfortunately. And um, here we have it in a very close society on Krakoa, and it's still, it's still happening. I mean, the mutants have always been kind of uh, victims of bigotry and fear and, of course, hate. And uh, you'd think that if you remove the human element that uh, everybody would be more or less equal. And while that might work on paper, in reality, you know, Things happen, unfortunately Uh, Evan continues As soon as Scout went to confront the oddities I was waiting with each panel for one of them to accidentally kill her in a fit of rage Not thinking about the fact that, as a clone, she might not be resurrected I still maintain that the tick-off-no-wolverine is an informal Krakoan law That would ensure her return But it made for some great suspense I'm hoping that Farouk doesn't live down to our expectations And kill her while everybody's at the gallop have you been reading ahead? <clears throat> I th- I liked your suggestion from a while back That he might not be as full evil as we think Well, Dom, um, by now you know <laughs> What happened to poor Scout And you know, uh, yeah, we, at least we have an idea Of how it went down I mean, it was kept as nebulous as possible While also being somewhat straightforward So, I mean, uh, yeah, the jury is out But, uh, yeah Scout was offed by uh, the Shadow King. At least, that's what it appears to be. Evan continues, I was disappointed to see Rain helping Farouk out. But as you said, she may be under some sort of influence or just be so broken that she doesn't know what to do. If Way of X is about the cracks in Krakow society, New Mutant seems to be about those falling through them. And right now, nobody but Farouk seems to know or want to address how broken Wolfsbane really is. And I think that's a really good way... Of uh, of explaining it here Way of X points out the cracks And New Mutants is about those who fall through them And uh, having the Shadow King As sort of a mentor For those who have Is um, a really good play For uh, several reasons here He's able to give them A sense of belonging, a sense of value uh, Whereas maybe the uh, The more traditionally uh, Aesthetically pleasing (laughs) Mutants on the island are A little bit more dismissive, whether or not they mean to be, it remains to, you know, be seen. But here we have the Shadow King who's able to gather these Irregulars and, uh, also exploit them. You know, uh, they're basically doing his bidding here. And I am definitely digging it. Uh, This might be the first Shadow King story that I'm actually, like, 100% enjoying. The Shadow King was never a favorite of mine. And this is a really good use of the character, a really good use of the gimmick, and, uh... A way to show that he can be an actual threat, even in this uh, post-Krakoan society. But thank you so much for writing in about that issue there, Evan. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts uh, heading into the post-Hellfire Gala with uh, everything that went down in this book, and uh, all the books, actually. So thanks again. And uh, next up, we have a short message from our friend Chris Bailey regarding uh, Shang-Chi. The Shang-Chi issue that we covered a little bit back, the uh, Wolverine guest spot. And he writes in to inform me that it is not Shang-Chi, but it's Shang-Chi. He says we now have to pronounce it that way because the MCU tells us to do so. And uh, to which I have to say, oops, (laughs) sorry about that. I hope I didn't offend anybody by calling him Shang-Chi. I've called him Shang-Chi for 30 years now. So hearing that it's Shang-Chi is, uh, well, that's news to me but I will do my best to uh, to refer to him as such moving forward. And hopefully I didn't ruin too many people's listening experience by referring to him as Shang. But uh, thank you so much for letting me know that, uh, Mr. Bailey. It's, uh, it's definitely helpful, because I am out of touch with everything MCU, uh, and I don't ever see myself becoming familiar with it. So thank you. From here, let's hop into the voicemail box. We've got uh, one message, which... I have been sitting on for a few days now because uh when I got it my mouth was in a state of disrepair <laughs> and I was trying to uh if I'm being honest just uh get through the episode without uh biting great big holes in my cheek with my uh with my new temporary uh crown. So uh let's get into the voicemail right now. Hey, this is Derek over at 1407 Gray Malkin and wanted to send a shout out to you guys because I- I like your stuff. I'm about to listen to the latest sword right now. X Labs. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop. Love you guys. Bye. Well hey, thanks so much, Derek. That really, really means a lot. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Sword and I'd love to uh I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on anything and that uh that goes to everybody. I want to hear everybody's thoughts because I am a very lonely fellow who likes talking about uh, comic books. So if anybody has any thoughts, definitely feel free to hit me up. Now, one more thing I wanted to mention, I wanted to make sure to mention before we head into the next segment here, is I did get an email from a friend of ours, uh, Brian, and he wrote in to let me know that uh, he tried going to chrisandreggie.com and uh, wound up... uh, well, it's kind of sketchy. Now, uh, I don't have access to chrisandreggie.com. As far as I know, it's expired at this point. That was uh, something that Reggie had purchased for us uh, back in the day. And I, I have been checking periodically to see if I can, um, you know, repurchase it. And it, uh, I, I haven't had any luck. So... Don't go to chrisandreggie.com. Um, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is where you can find, uh, you know, all the archives. It's a little bit hard to navigate, but the, the archives are there. Also, of course, there is chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and I am playing with uh, subdomains, trying to get things a little bit easier to uh, to navigate. Uh, I am also in the process of trying to redesign the uh, the site to look a little bit uh, a little bit less like a uh, Lazy 2004 era blog So uh, fingers crossed I can figure that out And not lose uh, too much of uh, the content there It's it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time But it's uh, it's scary Because, uh, I mean, there's like 2 million words on that website And uh, the thought of moving them is a little scary uh, Just refiguring everything I, I don't know what might get lost It's uh yeah, and I, and I am a coward, so it's kind, of scary. it's kind of scary for me And that's why it still looks like a very uh, crappy blog So yeah, don't go to ChrisAndReggie.com Go to ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com uh, The other one isn't even updated anymore So it's uh, way behind where we're at I don't even think there's a single X-Labs mention on that side I think the last thing I posted on there was a From Claremont to Claremont episode From like a year and a half ago So it's uh, wildly out of date but I definitely want to thank Brian for uh, letting me know so I can uh, share that information here. So thank you so much for that, Brian. Now let's uh, pop into the sales charts. Since this is the August finale of X-Lapsed, we do take a look at the sales charts on the uh, finale episodes. And this time out, we're looking at the sales for May 2021. And I do have some good news and bad news. Uh, the bad news is we still don't have shipping numbers. The good news is, with July's sales figures, we will get the shipping numbers again. So we'll actually be able to uh, quantify or qualify, whichever word is right, (laughs) the actual, uh, not so much the sales, but the shipped numbers. And we can uh, actually get down to the business of crunching some numbers. So I hope you're all looking forward to that as much as I am. And uh, I mean that with absolutely no sarcasm. I am (laughs) looking forward to that. That's something that... uh, Something that makes the little hamster run on the wheel in my head It's a, I enjoy crunching those numbers But let's talk about May We still got May to do, we got June to do And then we'll get to the good stuff So, the top five books for May 2021 are First one is Batman 108 Two, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha Which I think I've seen 600 copies at every comic store I've been to So, uh, yeah, that that shipped really well I don't know if it's in very, very many people's homes, but uh, it shipped pretty well. Uh, three, Heroes Reborn number one. Four, Wonder Girl number one. And five, Something is Killing the Children number 16. Which I don't know what that is, but I, I'm really not a fan of this trend of having like a complete sentence as the title of a book. As I went through the May list, there were a bunch that were like that. And it's, I don't know, it it, it irks me. I don't know why it irks me, but it does Anyway, into the books we actually care about um, The 11th highest shipping book was X-Men number 20 And of course, I mean, that is the flagship of the line So it will stand to reason that it's, uh, it's going to be up there And uh, when we get into volume 6 it's actually number one, so that's going uh, to be fun to talk about in a couple of months um, there, went, there was no issue of X-Men shipping in April, so we don't have anything to really compare it to Insofar as rising and dropping on the, uh, the sales charts The 21st highest book is Wolverine number 12, which is down three spots from 18 The 28th highest selling book is X-Corp number one So uh, a lot of disappointed folks out there, I would have to assume Uh, Book 34 was Way of X number 2, which dropped 22 spots. And, I mean, that is the second-issue slump, the attrition from issue 1 to issue 2. Totally uh, understandable and expected. Book 48 is Marauders number 20, which dropped 6 spots from 42. Book 67 was New Mutants number 18, which also dropped 6 spots from 61. The 75th highest shipping book was X-Men Curse of the Man-Thing number 1. 77 is Hellions number 11. There was no Hellions in April to compare that to. 81, X-Factor number 9. No issue in April to compare that one to. I'm definitely interested to see how uh, X-Factor number 10 will fare next time out with the, uh, the big reveal. Now, the honor for the uh, lowest-selling X-Book of the month goes to Children of the Atom number 3. And this one dropped 42 spots from 46 so it had a huge attrition for uh, an unexpectedly huge attrition from issue 1 to issue 2 but from 2 to 3 an even bigger drop at least in as far as the numbers are concerned the uh, the slotting on the list here we don't know what the sales look like we don't know how how many people actually stopped ordering this thing but with a drop this large uh, We have to assume that it's uh, it's not a good look either way And that's probably why this book is uh, Wrapping up with its sixth issue If, uh, if that wasn't always the plan um, I'm pretty sure it would be the plan After seeing these figures But uh, those were the sales charts from May Now uh, since this is a Monday episode Let's take a look at this week in X Sort of uh, I was unable to find the uh, Marvel Unlimited September list So uh Either Marvel has it very well hidden or I'm uh, too dense to find it Or maybe they just haven't put it up on the internet just yet So I don't know what came out on Marvel Unlimited today But if uh, if you have Marvel Unlimited, you probably already know what came out today But uh, on shelves, we have a pretty small week uh, We got Excalibur 23, X-Force 23, and uh, for completionists, Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood number 2 So pretty small week it feels like uh, the shipments are kind of getting under control like uh, we're not getting a book a week with one book and then a week with like five or six it feels like they're they're being you know planned out a little bit uh, easier for folks to uh, who go to the shop week to week to, to pick up their stuff and not be so uneven with uh, with what they're uh, what they're pouring out of their wallet each time out. so that's a good thing but uh, that is also the week in X. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to do a somewhat extended shout-out segment here. Um, as my, uh, you know, my mouth was pretty messed up last week, I didn't uh, didn't get to do these. So <laughs> we have a whole bunch of people to thank for helping to spread the word about the program. From Twitter, we got the Into the Weird podcast, Chris Bailey, Selling Out Show, Mark Radlich, Dave Schultz, Long Box of Darkness, Walt Neeland, Professor Allen, Billy D. Joe Crawford, Jeremiah, Ed Moore, the Between the Pages blog, Jason Colby, the Longbox Crusade, Mark Jagger, Frank Goebel, and Matt Rose. So thank you all so much for helping out on the Twitter machine. Over to Facebook, Jesse D. Young, Joe Crawford, Jody Yerdin, Chris Bailey, Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to spread the word and to... You know, just helping my own self-esteem and, uh, and self-worth By uh, clicking, clicking the heart or the thumbs up or the little swirly thing It really, it means too much to me So uh, thank you all for uh, playing along And uh, helping me feel a little bit better about uh, the stuff we put out here But uh, that's going to do it for today uh, And for the August season, the August episodes uh, I want to thank you all so much for spending your time with me And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.